So the guests I have on today are Alicia Stufoso and Lisa Nye. Alicia received her master's degree of occupational therapy from the University of Puget Sound. She has worked full-time as a school-based OT for over 20 years, and she currently works for Union County Public Schools in North Carolina. Lisa received her master's of art degree in occupational therapy from the University of Southern California. She has worked full-time as a school-based OT since 2001, and she currently works in schools in the metro Atlanta area. In addition to their full school district jobs and conference planning, Alicia and Lisa maintain private practices and they are co-owners of Careerful LLC, which is an AOTA-approved provider and educational services company. And they also coordinate an annual conference for school-based OTs called the Best Practices in School-Based OT Annual Conference. Boy, that's a mouthful. Welcome to the show, you two. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's already the new year, 2023. I can't even believe it's almost like mid-January already. <laughs> Time flies. So we were talking about meeting up last year and just it just goes by just goes to show how fast time flies. I think. Are you guys running off like the school system schedule? Yeah, so we just came back. We do. And so at this time of year, we are halfway through our school year. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I wanted to know, first off, I have many, many questions regarding this school OT and the conference. I want to back things up and just maybe go back down. You guys and rejogger you guys' memory. How did you two meet in the first place? So Lisa and I were hired right out of OT school by a company in Southern California called Gallagher Pediatric Therapy in Fullerton, California. And at that time, that was a private company that contracted with nearly every school district in our area. So if you wanted to work in school-based OT, you kind of had to work for that company. And they had an excellent structure in that everybody got great mentoring. And one of the things they did was a new hire shadowed an existing therapist. And I got the opportunity to shadow Lisa uh, it was when I started as a new therapist. Um, and I remember watching her doing therapy and thinking, wow, will I ever be as good as she is? <laughs> and I didn't realize it at the time, but she had only been an, out of school for about three or four months. <laughs> so, oh. um, it, so, but I was very impressed with her at the time. And um, we've just stayed close ever since. Wow, that's really incredible story. That's an interesting relationship. And I think that goes to show how OT, I think, I think, I think that's one thing I love about the community is just like the professional community and how we just teach each other and how much we can learn. How would you two, either of you, describe school OT and how it's different than other settings such as pediatrics? I think this reminds me a lot of a similar question that we comes up a lot in school-based practice. And it's how is school-based practice different than the clinic-based practice? And so we have to answer this a lot as school-based clinicians. So in the schools, uh, we support the student's ability to kind of participate in occupation of being a student. Whereas like the clinic, they're supporting their ability to participate in lots of different aspects of life. So it's been my experience that school-based OTs, we look at what the student needs in the classroom to be functional. And we get layered on top of a special education teacher, where in the clinic, the therapist is usually just working with the family and they're independent and writing their goals with the family, where we have a lot of team members involved in it. Yeah, that sounds actually really different. And 
it kind of goes with the name, right? School OT versus the clinic and pediatrics. So would you say that pediatrics is more focused on like a condition or the diagnosis or whatever deficits that the patient is having, client is having? Definitely. I think that clinic-based tends to be more deficit-based where um, school-based has a different focus. So a lot of our listeners are students, new grads, even some pre-OT. So can you tell me a little bit about someone who may be looking into this practice setting of school OT, what they should be considering or what are some things that you wish you knew actually? Some things I love about being a school OT is that Every day is different. I get to rotate through a variety of schools on a weekly basis. There's a lot of different kids that I work with, a lot of different teachers. There's a lot of getting to know all different kinds of people. What I really love about being in the schools, too, is you get to work in like the actual environment where the difficulty is. You don't have to imagine what the classroom looks like or imagine who the teacher might be because you know them, you see it and you get to problem solve the situation in the actual moment and you can see the results, either good or bad. And that's like really rewarding for me to be a part of it being a part of that team and kind of working all together with the kids. Can I piggyback on that a little bit too? Because Lisa and I will talk about the fact that in a lot of OT settings, you're in one location all day, every day. So you might be in a clinic or a hospital setting. And one of the nice things for us is that we're out and about. We might travel between locations in a day. We're constantly, you know, moving. And like she said, like the the change all the time. But for our personalities, that works a lot better than OT happens in a lot of medically based settings or clinically based settings. Yeah, that's definitely true. One, one strength, because where I work is like I'm in the same hospital. I get to go actually go get some sunshine when I go across the street to like the ancillary building. But that's even then it's like I still feel like I'm in like the hospital. But you guys get to drive around different places, different environments, right? Oh, and, and Jeff, we're going to make you really, really jealous because we also don't work holidays. We don't work weekends and we get two weeks off at Christmas and a break in the summer. So that's very different from <laughs> any kind of medically based setting for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's yes. One of the other true. perks. <laughs> I think that's a really big one because nowadays with work-life balance, right, definitely a thing and I've been seeing a lot of like focus on the clinicians, like self-care and their well-being. And that's really important. And especially these times when there's like such a huge need for OT services. What is a common misconception about this setting in terms of school OT that is just like a myth or something like that? I think, you know, we interact with many different team members in our practices. So I can say that in terms of school district personnel, they either a lot of times think that we do the same things that teachers do. So um, or or they just don't understand what we do at all. And that's the most common is that people don't know what we do. They just know we do something and we have a license for it. So just do what you do. In terms of the um, parents, I think a lot of parents either see us 
um, as this having the same focus as a private practice OT, because a lot of them will have come either from early intervention or they're getting outside therapy. So they think that the focus of what we do is the same. And it's it's actually quite different in a private practice. You have I'll call it a luxury because I've done private practice, too. You have that luxury of, say, assessing a student or talking to the family and finding out what those deficits are and addressing global deficits and being able to work until you've maximized function. In a school-based setting, our threshold is very different. And so, for instance, in the state of North Carolina, they set the guideline at the state level for school-based OT and the threshold in order to qualify for school-based OT. And, and the wording is something along the lines of that a student must require the service in order to participate in and make progress in their educational program. Well, so it doesn't say that you have to maximize function or you have to be getting straight A's or you have to have the best handwriting. It just says you have to be able to show skill enough to participate in and make progress. So, you know, when parents come to us, they sometimes they'll be disappointed because their child doesn't qualify and they'll say, but his handwriting is messy. And we will say, well, but it's, you know, the teachers are able to read it and grade it and they're, it's not limiting the students. So there's that misconception a lot with parents and that can be frustrating. You know, they expect us to teach kids, but in schools, the teachers are the teachers. So that's a misconception. And among other OTs, I think there's even a misconception because again, we'll get students who are getting outside therapy and we'll get, you know, when we communicate with those private therapists, they, Sometimes if they're not experienced or don't have the exposure to school-based OT, they don't really understand the limitations that we have. Again, when I described that threshold of what qualifies for school-based OT, they don't have a good understanding of that. So we come across as maybe looking lazy or like we don't see the deficit. And it's not that, it's that you know, the the threshold for school-based OT is different. And so we're just not looking at maximizing function. We're looking at, is, is it sufficient? So it's it can be frustrating for us too, but that that's those are some misconceptions that we deal with. Yeah, that's one thing I definitely didn't know. Would you say that this is, as we're in, you know, the United States and each state has potentially different things, like where I'm in California and you guys were from there before, would you say that's like pretty similar across the states, across the board in the country? Or can some states have even more strict or more looser criteria for eligibility? I would say for eligibility, it's pretty similar, but I would say, and Lisa, you can chime in if you feel it's different, but having come from California and then coming to work on the East Coast and even in the South, even if the regulations per each state aren't significantly that different, the practice in the community might be different. So for instance, um, there are some states on the East Coast where when we get students, they're getting a lot more service. And so they're getting more service to address skills, whereas in other states, they're more conservative in how they do that. So um, I would say even if it's not it's some sort of mandated difference. It is just a more of a or of a practice, a difference in practice based on your area where you live. Gotcha. 
Okay, that seems to be the theme. I will say also, yes, that you have federal laws and then states interpret those laws a little differently also. So there is a an overarching, which is IDEA, and then Mm -hmm. states interpret that a little bit differently. So then you have that to deal with also. So I guess to a certain extent, there is some difference there. What would you say are some other challenges that practitioners in this setting may face in school OT and what can they do to overcome that? For me, with the benefit of changing environments a lot, when you're not in a space all the time, they don't make space for you sometimes. So you're required to lug a lot of things with you. So one (laughs) of the challenges is carrying your lunch bag, your office bag, your therapy supplies bag with you from place to place, a therapy ball sometimes in addition to all those other things. Sometimes too, the flip side of being part of a team is it can be a positive experience and sometimes it could be not such a positive experience. Sometimes these teens, um, the families, for whatever we reason, will feel they need to also have an advocate and that will bring kind of an adversarial vibe to mm-hmm. the team. Sometimes that isn't fun. Also too, I think just like with a lot of professions in general, there's like a high burnout rate for school-based OTs. And I think that's due to feeling kind of overworked, um, maybe the productivity standards or the lack of productivity standards, um, feeling undervalued. Mm-hmm. For me, I think um, that's where the importance of having those mindful practices come into play. Having a friend that you can call up and commiserate with, um, trying to leave work at work, you know, all those kinds of mindful things that you can do to make it bearable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Would you say that with the pandemic, any of that has kind of transitioned to like home-based and you're like home a lot more than before? Or has that been a lot of just return back to the environment with school OT? I think it depends. For us, since we're moving around a lot, sometimes it doesn't, some schools and some school districts don't mind as much if you're joining meetings virtually and definitely have seen a change in meetings being virtual as opposed to in-person since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the most part, it's a job that has to be done in person, just like most OT. Yeah. And that's really, I think, one of the reasons I got into it is like, I'll never be probably replaced by a robot, at least not for a long time in terms of the skills and the first things, unless they make them really good like the next year. I mean, cars can't even drive themselves that well right now, so I'm not worried. Yeah, we have time. We have time. I wanted to just back up and ask, how do you think OT has changed compared to maybe even from like five, 10 years ago? Would you say there's been some shifts in this setting? I would say so. I know when Lisa and I started, and again, this is 20 years ago, but even this has been progressing over the last, I would say definitely the 10, 10 to 20 years. When we started, we mostly did pull out of students. So I would go to a classroom, I would pull them out of class, take them into a separate room. And a lot of our sessions, I would say most of our sessions, and maybe it was just where we lived, but in speaking to other therapists, I think it's pretty generalized. They were 50 minute sessions, which is a clinical hour. So we, and imagine pulling a three-year-old for 50 minutes doing therapy and taking them out of the classroom. And I really think now we have moved more towards 
towards number one, working more in the natural setting, which is, you know, the classroom or wherever they are in school, the playground, the classroom, the lunchroom. We're working more towards what we call push in. And then also Mm -hmm. having it be more appropriate to the child. Our sessions have gone down to 30 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever is appropriate for that child to tolerate and make progress on their goals. So we've much more of a student focused planning as opposed to doing it the old the old school way. And so I think it's a really a much more healthy change. For me, I would add too that like technology has come so far, like in the last five and 10 years. So the like archaic things that we were doing for assisted technology back in the beginning of my practicing time, which was, it's been 20 years compared to like the things that are available for students now who have difficulty with writing and forming things. I mean, the dictation software, the um, word prediction software, even, you know, when you compose an email now, it's predicting what you want to say and can finish the sentences. So, and just, it'll be interesting to see where that continues to go over the next 10, 20 years. And that even carries over to technology that's available to our students. You know, we're incorporating so much more accommodating technology that's making school more accessible to our students. Yeah, I can imagine just with that trend, just more technology making it into our lives and helping us out. It's probably gonna be like, my kids probably gonna know more than me probably. And like, I'm gonna learn from them and like, well, what'd you learn in school today? And they're gonna teach me basic things like how to live my life much easier. And as a parent, I'm wondering how that will change for you because one of the conversations I find myself having with parents and teachers and other OTs is my belief that We need to be open to using more technology with our students, for instance, allowing our students to type more starting earlier. And I know I, you know, I get a lot of pushback from others, OTs, and I get it. Writing is important. Handwriting is important. The fine motor skills are very important. But the reality is that your child, for instance, is going to grow up in a world where they're rarely going to write by hand and they're mostly going to be using technology for any form of communication. And that's just the reality that I think our students are heading for very quickly. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. I think I would probably agree with that, just at least in terms of where things are heading, unless like handwriting makes a comeback for something and it's like really, really popular. But yeah, like I think even something like your words per minute can really just not only just be so functional, right? The faster that you type across any job and nowadays you have to write email, right? Even like for the most basic of things, like the more efficient you'll be and like the more time you can make for other things and you don't have to just stress over like feeling feel left behind in terms of typing so I can think for a student that can be so much like so empowering for them and making them more independent and feeling like giving them confidence I was just going to add that one of the things that hasn't changed that maybe should change is the um, way that we assess fine motor skills like our standardized testing that we have for some of that's used a lot is getting kind of old. So hopefully someone out there is working on some new testing for the, because I think with all this technology use, kids' motor skills are developing differently. 
Yeah, that was one of the things I was just noticing with my kid is like he's touching an iPad and interacting with a piece of glass more than he's like held a crayon. And it's like just I was thinking about like function and development, child development. It's just like changed so much. Whereas before he'd probably be holding that crayon much more or interacting with three dimensional objects, basically more than a flat surface, at least nowadays. Okay, then you guys got me really curious now. What do you have in your therapy bag or tote? Like, well, some of the more interesting things, of course, not your lunch. <laughs> well, um, the standards, um, you know, you'll have some manipulatives and manipulative activities, you know, the, 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 the tennis ball with the slit in it with things to put into it or containers with, you know, manipulatives and those kinds of activities. Um, and on top of that, you have to have your crayons, your paper, all of that. And then maybe you'll take a couple of games with you. You'll have some craft type uh, materials because you might be using that. Lisa said, you might have some sensory tools with you too, a therapy ball or weighted objects. I carry things like um, pencil grips. I, I love ledge liner. It's a rolling ink pad that makes writing guidelines on just stand, you know, blank paper. And so I'll carry things like that, that I might either distribute to teachers or show to teachers or give to my students. And so you really have everything that you might use in a therapy session with you. And so a lot of us use a rolling cart. So th that's, mm -hmm. those, that's my answer. I don't know if Lisa, if Lisa adds. You're just, when you're describing all that, all I saw was like Mary Poppins and she's like pulling out all of the stuff from her bag. That's basically what our therapy bag is. Like who knows yeah. what's in there? It's endless. A coat right whack might come out. <laughs> yes. I will say yeah. I'm jealous because I wish... I work in the hospital and we don't have anything to carry around. And I'm one of the OTs who like stuffs the pockets like to the brim with stuff. I have like gloves, pens, just like supplies. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I wish I could just carry something like I would in like outpatient settings or school OT. And, and it kind of gets in the way, but this is, that's one that's really funny thing I thought about. Yeah, maybe you should create the OT satchel that's carried around a, a clinic setting. Yeah, yeah. It's a great idea for those creative inventors out there who are listening. I have a two-year-old and one thing I've been doing is just watching and screening like what they watch in terms of educational shows. And one thing I really noticed is how a lot of newer practices, at least newer in terms of like what I've been exposed to is I when I wasn't going to school, we weren't exposed to these things. It's like kind of like mindfulness, breathing strategies. So these are in the shows. I would guess that these strategies are in the school system too. How is that going? Is that a thing? Is it popular? I think we are seeing schools address mental health using any strategies they can more than ever, and it's needed more than ever. And I've asked school counselors, what, what's happening? Why do we have so many students that are young, very young, but they're diagnosed with anxiety or depression? The answer I've gotten is that one of the reasons is that our kids are plugged in 24-7, even a small child like yours. He's, you know, he's on devices or he's here. They're hearing adult conversations about things like pandemic and health and political and social divisiveness. And, and you know, so there's there's so much stress that these little ones are being exposed to that we weren't. It's just permeating every facet of their lives. And so we're seeing more and more of a need of that. So we do definitely see mental health being addressed more with those kinds of self-care techniques. And it's it's great to see. Yeah, I think it's 
And the greatest thing I think I am most impressed with is the research behind it. And there are actually studies, like either if it's in this specific setting or across other, even like older, like teenagers, and it's like working. As long as it's tailored to the student and meets their needs and fits like with like their personality and culture and background, whatever it is. So that's really, really cool because, yeah, I think mental health is going to be really, really huge, especially in this OT school setting. And another thing that, especially when I was shadowing, like I sat in on IEP meetings when I was doing my school OT experience for field work was just the collaboration piece with educators, families, psychologists. So can you tell a little bit me about that? And has there been any changes? What are some, what's it like day in the life of just the collaboration part? I think for me, um, this definitely has developed as I've gone along. Like when I was a little baby OT, I didn't really have any idea on how to collaborate. I was like full of all these expert ideas. Like I had mounds of student debt to back up my expert opinion. And I was ready to like pass along slash spew everything that I knew on anyone who was willing to sit still and listen. And I would hand off to parents or teachers pages and pages of things that they could do at night with their kid. And I had no idea what it even looked like to have a family at that point in time. Now that I've been doing it for a while, I kind of realized like you need to start where people are to begin with. So like meeting them where they are. And I also take like way less of an expert approach. I give like fewer suggestions. I like to use phrases like I'm wondering if or I'm noticing that and I kind of see what the people pick up on, whatever resonates with them. And they're like, oh, yeah, I could. Well, maybe I could do this or maybe I could, you know, when we're eating dinner, he could help sort the silverware, you know. So just kind of coming up with things that like actually work where the person is rather than just being the expert. It's kind of been how my collaboration styles changed and what I found to be successful. I find myself, especially like Lisa said, now that I'm older and wiser, being more open myself to learning and learning styles. And um, and that's what I love most about being a school OT. Well, I shouldn't say what I love most, but one of the things I really enjoy is that opportunity for collaboration with everybody that comes into contact with our students. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So what would comprise the team? I mentioned like those main players. Did I miss anybody? Besides the regular team, which you would imagine, the speech therapists, the any PTs, any um, the teachers, classroom aides, school district administrators, things like that. Vision teachers, deaf and hard of teachers. <laughs> I have even found that I have been on some assistive technology teams where I encourage the teams. I don't know how you could have an effective assistive technology team for a school district that did not have somebody from, for instance, the department that handles equipment, because you might be talking about adaptive desks. You might be talking about, you know, I really need a pulley system that does such and such, you know, and there are people in school district that create things, build things, fix things, are in charge of equipment. So even people that you don't imagine right off the bat, there are people in the school district that are outliers that can still be involved in addressing issues for our students. So that team can really expand to anybody in the school district, anybody that would contribute something to the well-being of our students. 
Yeah, that's something I didn't. I definitely don't think about. But it takes like a whole village to run a school and make things work for a student. So the more friends you can be with these people, the easier that your life will be, probably right? Because you'll get like something working, like a poly or something. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I want to shift gears now and talk more about OT School Conference and why you guys decided to create something like this. Obviously, there was probably a need. What was the story behind creating an OT School Conference? I think it depends which one of you um, you ask who came up with this idea. <laughs> but really, I think it was us talking together. I, you know, I've had Alicia as a friend for like my whole professional career. We started our first jobs together. And so because of that, she's become my like go-to person to talk things out about work and OT. And when I moved to Georgia and she was still working in Southern California, I would call her and I would tell her like, you were talking about like in different states, there's different things, right? So I would call her and I'd be like, oh, in Georgia, they're doing this. And like, imagine if we had, if you started that in LA, like what, how, you know, it would make your life easier. So we were like collaborating between like things I was learning there. And then we were talking, we we're like, imagine if there was like a conference where you could go, where everybody could come together from everywhere, you know, all over the United States mm -hmm. and share the ideas and share like what's working where they are and like how they might do things different. And so we looked around and we couldn't really find a conference like that. At the time, there wasn't really just a conference dedicated solely to OTs in schools. So we had the idea and that's how I remember it coming to be. I don't know if Alicia has a different <laughs> memory, but that was my memory. I will give memory. Lisa the credit because she, she did go to her, uh, um, they, they do have a conference in her state that um, is, is a lot different than ours, but it was, it is specific to school-based OTs and PTs. And so she had brought that, that information, you know, that idea originally, and we just expanded on it. So I'll give her the credit. So how did you two even approach something like this? It's like sounds like it's such a huge, big task. Have you had experience doing such big things or how, like how do you how did you even approach something like creating a conference? Well, we approached it with good intentions and a lot of naivete. <laughs> we, we did not really know what we were doing or what we were getting into. So we had both been to a lot of conferences by that point, including like AOTA conference, you know, the big annual convention that they have. And so we, you know, very naively said, well, we know what it looks like. Let's just do it. And we approached it that way. It was really a learning process. I'm sorry to throw a little shade, but at the time we assumed that the governing bodies would support us also in our endeavor. So like we reached out to AOTA and we reached out to state organizations and we said, would you have you know, any interest in working with us on something like this? And the response we got, and I'm not exaggerating, is who are you? And then we got hung up on it. So nobody really wanted to help us in any way. We were really on our own. Mm -hmm. And um, so 
you know, we knew that we wanted to have a conference that was 100% of the content was focused on school-based OT. We wanted it affordable to school-based OTs in such a way that the school districts might pay for their therapists to go. Those are some themes that we have tried to maintain throughout the years, and it's challenging, but we've done it. The first year, we thought we would have hundreds of school-based OTs, and we had 25. And um, it, it was it's not bad, um, but the feedback was so great. Everybody who was there said, this is so necessary. This is and every year we hear people say this is the best conference I've ever been to. And a big part of that is the fact that it is 100 percent dedicated to school based OTs. We also like to have the opportunity, which a lot of conferences don't give you. We like the opportunity to talk with each other, to mm. share ideas, to have collaboration. And in the past, you know, we're not really going to have as much of a chance this year because of the model we're using, but to, mm. to have discussion groups, because that's what you miss out at, at a lot of conferences is you go and hear a lot of great presentations, but you don't get to just talk about ideas. And that's something we wanted to. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that we've, we focused on and, and um, we're, we're just learning each year as we go and just trying to make it better every year. I can definitely see the need and the appeal it's like I've been to some conferences, major ones like AOTA, and it's like very diverse, but like sometimes you are just looking for like very specific things and you don't get that necessarily with larger conferences. And with something like this, I think that discussion piece is like such a cool part in terms of collaborating, sharing ideas and just getting the most out of your professional practice and building it and developing it. Uh, with the upcoming one, is there a theme with it? We actually picked it really carefully. It's called Rethinking the Approach. And that's because as school-based OTs over the years, the majority of what we address are fine motor issues, you know, handwriting, motor skills in general, uh, sensory processing issues. And what we're finding over the last couple of years is that mental health, like you said, like self-regulation is the biggest issue. We can't even get to working on fine motor because our kids are mm. so dysregulated. They have, you know, again, anxiety, stress, depression, so many things that they're, they're wired. They are wired because they're wired in 24 seven. And so we said, we're, we're just having to rethink how we do school-based therapy. We're having to just start out with getting our kids in the door and seated at the table, you know, and yeah. attending. So we usually have a very open approach when we welcome proposals for speakers at our conferences. But mm -hmm. this year we changed that approach a little bit. And we said, we are, we are creating this theme because we see this problem and we want presenters that are speaking specifically to this topic. We're talking about mindfulness. We're talking about executive functioning strategies that you can put in place tomorrow and integrate right into your sessions. We have a speaker talking about self-regulation in general, mental health and its direct impact on school-based OT. And then we're having some, you know, treatment strategies, things like the co-op approach. And so the therapists that lead this conference to walk away with strategies 
strategies you can put into play tomorrow and put right into the practice you're already doing. That's kind of one of the things like I wish I was getting out of like a lot of conferences. I feel like a lot of it is like so ideological, theory based or yeah, I can see that, but doesn't really work in my practice or I don't see myself using that. That theme and what you guys are going for for this year, I think is definitely is a need for it. And like you're saying with the mental health and the being plugged in. I really like that because I'm sure that's not just a small problem that a few OT school OTs face, but across the board. In our conversations with OTs across the country, we have uh, regular interactions with OTs in other countries, too. And so Mm. we're finding it's just everywhere. So, yeah, it's a universal issue. How would someone who's interested in speaking get involved with you guys or like what are does it go by the theme that going this time forward or is that subject to change as well, I guess? We always have on our website like a way to submit proposals for presenting at our conference. We're thinking ahead to like the coming years of what the themes are, but we like to listen to like what our attendees want to. So mm-hmm. um, if anybody has ideas or we are always open to kind of hearing about them. We always tell the people that come to our conference that really they are the ones that help us develop plan the whole conference because we really want it focused on what the needs are of school based OTs right now. Do you guys hold these conferences when like school is out so that everybody can attend or is a specific, like the same time every year or so Lisa and I were very surprised because we always thought we would hold them on weekdays. So why don't we hold them on like a Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, Friday? And and what we've done is Every year at our conference, we will take a poll and on our survey, some of the questions are things like, would you prefer to have it on a weekend? Would you prefer to have it in the summer? Would you prefer? And so we have it at the beginning of March. We've had it on the first Friday and Saturday of March for the last, I don't know, Lisa, what, seven years maybe? And so, and we have found that time and time again, that's what people want. People want a weekday and a weekend day. We can't imagine why anybody would want to spend a weekend day at a conference, but if, but for whatever reason, it seems to be what people want because people don't want to miss work. So they so that seems to be the thing. And then March seems like I don't. For most people seem fine with it, and I think part of it is that early in the year you're you're just you're running like a chicken with your head cut off. It's crazy, and then towards the end of the year you're checked out. You are fried, and the last thing you want to do in your summer is spend time going to a work conference. So I think for school-based OTs anyway. And so I think it just, it kind of sits in a sweet spot where it is right now. We are always open to the, you know, the preferences of the people who come. So we will always ask, but that's what it's been so far. Would you say, Lisa, do I, did I say that? correctly so i think um when you work in the schools you kind of follow like the natural rhythm of the schools so like alicia was saying like in the beginning of august there's a lot of start and there's a lot of excitement every august or whenever the school year starts depending on where you work Mm -hmm. and there's this excitement and you come to work but by march you're kind of like starting to fizzle out a little bit. You're kind of <laughs> looking forward to the summer break that's coming up. And something about having this conference in March kind of gets you through the end of the school year because you go and you get excited about what you're doing again. And then you take that excitement back to finish up the school year. But like Alicia said, it's a, you know, it's a work in progress still, yeah. always. And I like how you two like really take the input of the attendees 
from topics to like timing to the discussion part because it's really all about the community and sharing of ideas and so do any stories come to mind from the conferences and like maybe like a presentation or some success stories from over the many years that you guys have been holding these conferences? One thing, I mean, I, I can't think of a story that necessarily comes to mind, but I will say that one of the things that has struck me over the years um, is that we have had some uh, speakers that really are just some of my OT idols. You know, mm-hmm. we've had Dr. Winifred Schultz. We've had Dr. Susan Cahill. You just feel so honored that they even accept your email or your phone call. And then when you meet them, you realize, wow, they're very accessible. Like they are boots on the ground OTs like we are, who have had great experience and, you know, research and things like that. And so that has been really exciting to meet some of the people that you admire so much. And then to also have them be as great as you thought they were. The same thing that like starstruck by the like famous OTs, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're famous and they're here. And then, of course, like there's always like the technical difficulty, you know, like the little things that come up that mm. like that kind of makes it exciting. I mean, anytime you have an event, you never really know what's going to happen. So, you know, the out of the ordinary things are the things that stick with you. I think when this isn't a story necessarily, but one of the things that makes me most proud of this event is I've had therapists come up to me and say, my school district, we will come to this conference as long as you have it. Every single time you have it, we will come back because we get more out of this than anything else we do. And that is such an honor. And that really sticks with me. And sure enough, they come back every year. So it's it's a great feeling. And this counts for our continuing education too, right? You guys are uh, certified yeah. to the term to use? So we do offer continuing education. Our company, we have a parent company that we work through. It's called Careerful LLC. That is an AOTA approved provider. Now, this conference, we are not offering, at this time, we are not offering AOTA CEUs. So I want to make that really clear. But we are offering continuing education. So we offer six contact hours per day and a total of 12 contact hours for the full conference. Mm-hmm. Um, we offer we offer registration options where you can either register to come only one day or come both days. If you attend and you complete the survey at the end of each day, you get the contact hours for that day. And we also have a link on our website because some people aren't always sure what their state requires in terms of continuing education. So we do have a link on our website, on the conference website, that you can go and look up on an AOTA organized document what your state requires. And almost every single one recognizes contact hours. A few states require that the event be approved already, and we are not, we're not specifically approved any state, you should be able to count our contact hours. So again, it's six contact hours per day, a total of 12 for the full conference. It's a two-day conference, as I said. Um, It goes from approximately, the schedule is on the website, but it goes approximately from 7.30 or 8 in the morning until about 3 or 3.30 in the afternoon. Over the two days, it's going to be a, um, it's a hybrid model. So we have in Southern California, across the street from Disneyland, and then there's a live stream virtual portion also. And we offer um, group discounts for more than two or more people from the same organization. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. Now I can see why, why OTs go on the weekend, you know, like 12 is if you go to the full conference, that's like half of your 
renewal requirement, right? I believe it's 24 we need. So not only is this tailored to your practice setting, but you knock out a lot of hours just by going to this over like a a week and a weekend, right? Yeah, exactly. And if you, you know, if you came every year, you pretty much are, for most states, you'd be satisfying your continuing ed requirements for the most part for the, for each, yeah, each renewal period. What's the future of school OT looking like in terms of what you guys think, in your opinion, at least, uh, what are some things that are like on the horizon, new and exciting, I guess, for our listeners who are either practicing or like really looking to get into it or even curious about it? I think first in the schools in general, as a school OT, you're kind of following the lead of education. And I think education in general is starting to grab onto this like idea of self-regulation being important in student engagement. So I see, you know, our role is supporting that like engagement and that self-regulation piece is really important in the schools. I think um, it will continue to be like collaborative in nature. I think they probably will continue to forget that we need a space. So you're probably going to keep lugging those bags around for a while. There's always this like evolvement of like what's necessary to solve the problem. So like as technology evolves, we'll evolve with the technology and then our ability to kind of be one step ahead of it to help solve the problems that our students encounter along the way. Yeah, very important too. So with that said, very last question, what is the big takeaway from today's episode for our listeners? Come to the conference. Definitely come to the conference. And then I think too, sometimes a little conversation between friends can turn into a big idea. And I think if you follow that idea and you take a little risk and step outside of your comfort zone, it can be really rewarding. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. Thank you guys for being on the show. I learned a lot today. And when's the next conference coming up? How can we find out more about it? So the conference is coming up on March 3rd and 4th. Anaheim, California is the in-person and then it's also virtual. The conference website itself is schoolotconference.com. All one word, schoolotconference.com. Awesome. Thank you guys for being on the show and we'll talk to you next time. Maybe see you at the conference. I hope so. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff.